the Oklahoma City Thunder fall to the New Orleans Pelicans in a collapse in the second half. What went wrong for the Thunder? How can they rebound? And your takeaways from this game. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Get it going on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Follow me on X at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, we're diving into the OKC Thunder collapsing down the stretch of this game against New Orleans. SGA is struggling injured what's going on in oklahoma city plus we're going to react to your biggest takeaways today's show is brought to you by fanduel make every moment more right now new customers get 150 dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar money line bet that's 150 bucks if your team wins visit them right now at fanduel.com slash locked on to get started well thank you so much for making us your first listen every morning we're here talking thunder basketball let's start with this game overview so the thunder were without jay will and kinrich again uh jay will is progressing faster than kinrich williams is but uh you, you know they'll have to see how he does and, and when he can return uh no brandon ingram no trey murphy the third no jose alvarado for the pelicans so missing some key pieces for their team espn Back in town, first national TV game in Paycom in a long time since that 1920 season. OKC got up by 22 points, and yet we're sitting here talking about a loss. That was partly because CJ McCollum was awesome tonight for the Pelicans. The Thunder were out-rebounded 58-49. to The Thunder had 14 turnovers, Pelicans had 10, and the Thunder just stopped playing their style of play. There were a lot of bad shots, there were a lot of bad turnovers, Uh, untimely turnovers and bad shots as well, Uh, just a lack of ball movement at times, and a lack of effort on the glass uh, for this team. And and part of that is is just because of them going small and also missing out on J. Will and Karen Williams. And uh, I think that fans get upset when you mention J. Will, especially when you talk about rebounding and and Kinnerts as well, when you talk rebounding, because when you think of a rebounder, you don't think of Kenny Hustle, you don't think of J. Will, and, and, and they're not this mold that people have in their head for centers in the NBA. Uh, but at the end of the day, Jay will specifically is an incredible box out guy. Like he is awesome at getting positioning. He's awesome at boxing out and it allows the guards to come swoop in and get the rebounds. And so while his individual rebound number uh, was not as high as you would think a traditional center should be, it allowed for others to work on the glass. And so it kind of goes back into the team effort of rebounding. You missed a big chunk of that. Uh, from Jay Will, from Kenny Hustle. And then they also just bring some of the intangible, like energy-giving plays, hustle plays, where uh, when you need to, to match New Orleans' physicality or tempo or uh, intensity, th- these guys can do that for you uh, and, and can do it in a big way off the bench as games are starting to kind of slip. And, and at the end of the day, it's hard, right? It's hard to uh, hold on to leads. 
And every team goes through this. I, I know that it feels like the end of the world in Oklahoma City, and this feels terrible. But the, the night before, the Suns did the exact same thing against the Spurs. And there's no one uh, thinking that the Suns are a terrible team or or, or that the, the, the Spurs are better than the Suns or anything else. The Suns blew a massive lead, and they did it in record time as well. So this is just a thing. And, and it's, it's almost harder to protect a lead in the NBA – uh, then, then to go get it back if you're the team on the opposite end. But that's no excuse, and there are no excuses, and this is part of this team having to learn how to play their style of basketball for 48 minutes. They started out playing their style of basketball really well. It, it grew the lead. They, they fell off of it for you know 80% of the game in the middle, and then at the very end, they got back to their style of play. They got within five, then got within two, and then ended up losing this game. So it's just – playing a sustained 48 minutes, which will be the key for the Thunder, and was the key for the Thunder, of course, last year too. Uh, you know, you don't have to come back in the third quarter and make all those third quarter comebacks if you play 48 minutes of basketball. So learning how to do that as a young team is going to be the key for OKC. Uh, now, I, I think that with the Thunder, you're going to have to, to bear with some of the rebounding stuff uh, because of the way they're constructed and the way that they want to play. But they still, even this personnel on this team, they can uh, make up for that. They just didn't against New Orleans. And so uh, that's a shortcoming for this team, even outside of whatever ideas you have. And we're going to get into your takeaways coming up uh, for what this roster should look like. But ultimately, bad loss, of course, uh, for the Thunder. Whenever you're up by 22, you don't want to lose that game at home. Uh, but when you look at this first five-game stretch, and I asked you on, on X to predict it, a lot of you predicted three and two, and that's exactly what the Thunder got. Now, it was bookended by dramatically different feelings where you blow out the Bulls and look like uh, you know, you've know you arrived in the NBA, and then you blow a massive game to the Pelicans, and it feels like the bottom of the barrel. But at the end of the day, all that matters is your record. <laughs> and you're three and two right now, and in the NBA, you take wins any way you can get it. Sure, the, the Cavs didn't have... Um, Allen or Garland, and it took a it took a unprobable comeback against Cleveland. You go steal that game, just like the Pelicans stole this game. This is what good teams do; they steal games. And yeah, the, the Nuggets did beat down the Thunder. They're going to beat down a lot of teams. So this last five game stretch, you have to give a passing grade to because they came out of it unscathed. But a passing grade does not get confused with this is a perfect team or this team has has it all figured out or this team has arrived or anything like that. It is a it is a good start to the season. There are a lot of things to clean up, even with that great comeback against Cleveland, even with that blowout win over Chicago and, and, and that big win over Detroit. The Thunder have not even scratched the surface of playing their best brand of basketball. And life doesn't get easier on the, the Thunder as they move into their, to their next five games. They're going to play the Warriors tonight without SGA who's dealing with a, a knee sprain. They're going to play the Hawks on Monday, the Cavs November 8th, and the Kings November 10th, and the Suns November 12th. So this is a tough next five games where you're playing, you know, kind of cream of the crop teams in the Warriors who, who, who have that star power, the Suns who are projected to be a top team in the West, and the, and the Kings who uh, have a great home court advantage and have a young core that is able to match the Thunder and 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 outpace the Thunder for a team that wants to run fast in OKC. So those are three insanely tough games, and we know what the Cavs can do. Uh, and if they're fully healthy in the Paycom Center, that makes for a great game. 
And then the Hawks are the only game where, you know, you could look at and say, well, the Thunder might be able to, to out-talent Atlanta, but even Atlanta has some formidable players, of course, with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray uh, and Inyaka Nkungwu. Like, they have a lot of good guys there in Atlanta, too. This is going to be a very tough stretch for OKC, a tough 10-game start to this season. The Warriors and Kings are playing are, uh, in-season tournament games. They'll count both for that pool play of the in-season tournament and also they'll count for the just normal NBA standings. So keep in mind with that. Now, speaking of SGA, we're going to talk about his game as a whole, but he is out with a knee sprain. People watching the, the television broadcast and uh, you know, and originally watching the game thought that it was a ankle injury, um, but it wasn't an ankle injury. Uh, Mark even cleared that up post-game that it was not an ankle injury. Uh, post-game also, SGA said he felt all right, but what happened was he woke up this morning with some some more kind of swelling and with some more uh, discomfort. So he's not going to play against the Warriors. They're going to monitor him as always and kind of give a better timetable later. But the Thunder have their first stretch of consecutive off days, so that that helps the matter when you're dealing with an injury. You know, get consecutive off, consecutive off days after the Warriors. So for SGA, he'll have been. He didn't practice Thursday. He wasn't even wearing shoes at practice Thursday. Uh, and then didn't, it's not going to play or practice Friday or shoot around. So Friday and then Saturday and Sunday off. So, you know, that's a long stretch off for SGA who's dealing with that kind of uh, knee sprain. But in this game, SGA did not have uh, his best basketball. We'll talk about that coming up on today's Lockdown Thunder podcast. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at Prize Picks. Folks, go to Prize Picks right now. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA. And you can use the code Locked in NBA for your first deposit match up to $100. What you have to do is at a minimum of two players. So you go to two players and you can just then bet against their projection. You'll, you'll predict their project projection where you pick two players. So Josh Giddy, more or less than five and a half assists. And then you go to J Dub more or less than 12 and a half points, more and more, then you just simply sit back, watch the game, and see if you are correct. So you're not you're not going up against other players or, or, or true, like, fantasy gurus who know all the trends and action. It's just you versus what's going to happen on the court statistically against these projections. So check it out today and go to pricepicks.com slash locked on in B a prize picks even offers a reboot policy. So of course, as the NBA happens, if there's a player that you have already submitted for your entry and then he pops up with an injury and doesn't play, then you get a, you get a reboot. So it doesn't count against you and you're going to be okay uh, for that entry. So prize picks is going to take care of you as well, along with the bonuses that you get from prize picks from us and if you want to play alongside of Prize Picks favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz, you can find them in the community plays under promos tab on the app, and you can view their entries. And you can either go with their entries or against their injuries or uh, entries or however you want to do that with some of the biggest names in the Prize Pick community each week. You can also do cross sport entries; those are fun. Cross sport NFL and NBA if you want to on a football Sunday or like tonight Thursday night football. So check it out today. Go to PrizePicks.com slash Locked in NBA. Use code Locked in NBA on your first deposit and you get a match up to $100 right now at Price Picks. 
We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Look, SGA was setting the table early, and he scored eight points in the first frame, was really cooking in the first quarter. Uh, he had a beautiful wraparound pass to Josh Giddy. Uh, he was awesome all night at, at timing these entry passes to the post where Zion had him sealed off, and he's able to jump it, time it, and get the steal. He did that last year on a game-saving play against Franz Wagner uh, last year on the same day, November 1st, uh, to beat the Orlando Magic at home. But ultimately, while he did hit some of those tough turnaround, unworldly body control uh, plays, uh, you know, shooting the basketball in the mid-range, he also, though, struggled at times to, to get those to go down. Now, some of those were halfway home jump shots that didn't fall, and so... You look at the back of the box score, and, he, and he's got 20 points on 20 shots, and you just assume it was all terrible. Some of those just was bad luck. But ultimately, a lot of it was due to the contact that goes uncalled in the, in the early season goings. And SGA's discussed after the game that he feels like players are allowed to be playing more physical with SGA this season. And, you know, at, at some point, that will course correct, I believe. Like, I think that we see this every year. You now have a superstar player who the NBA is monitoring, who the NBA is is aware of and is aware of how they play basketball, is aware of what they like to do on the court and is taking note of them. And so every year there's a story about so-and-so star player isn't getting to the line as much. The refs are calling this tighter and it's happened a lot, of course, with like James Harden or Luca or guys uh, who bait fouls. Not that SGA does bait fouls, but just in general, it's happened before. And then as the season progresses, the refs revert back to the way that they've used to call games. Now, I don't think that SGA baits fouls. I think he's just taking a lot of contact, and it's just not being called, and he's voiced frustration. Mark has voiced frustration, uh, and Mark, even at practice today, talked about the inconsistency of uh, the refs game to game and even half to half at times on what they're going to call. But ultimately, you've got to adjust. You've got to adjust to to how they're defending you, adjust to how the refs are not calling uh, the game properly in your eyes or, or properly with what they – status quo has been previously, you can't just keep ramming your head in the wall and expecting the same or, you know, different things to happen. Uh, but you also want to balance that with just playing your game. So it's going to be a tough mix of, of how to, to approach this from SGA standpoint once he's back from, from injury. But one thing I think that I would be interested to see if they, if they change the offense, you know, it's great to be reliant on these screens, right? Guard to guard screens. And of course now you have Chet Holmgren. So you want to put him in some of those pick and roll actions as well. But there's also a, a, a time and place for, hey, let's just get out of the way and, and not get out of the way like you would think of in the old Westbrook and, and Kevin Durant days. But get out of the way in the sense of, you know, let's just see what SGA can do in isolation. Let's stay stationary for a moment and then let's cut based on his decision into the open floor. Uh, Aaron Wiggins talked about this at a practice where uh, he was sitting in the dunker spot and there was a player in the corner that, that, that his man gravitated toward. Zion was kind of in the lane playing the middle, but then Zion but, but then the Zion went to Chet, who was, of course, a, a bigger a rim threat. And so that left Wiggins just wide open, purely based on him being in the right spot and then letting the defense kind of disperse into their, their assignments. And you can then find the soft spot for, for the defense. So this constant uh, crowding of, of the ball with the, with the screen-to-screen stuff, I, 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 or pick-and-roll stuff, I think that, uh, that might be a little bit of a detriment and not a detriment of a system or or even a fault of anyone necessarily, but it just goes back to 
you've got to collect these data points and, 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 and grow together and, and get these reps together to know how to play and to know the timing of when to anticipate setting a screen versus when to uh, just let Shea call for one versus not call for one. So I think they're going to make it look better. At times it looks clunky, uh, but they just got to get more overall organization on, on the offensive end of the floor. So SGA, of course, is not having uh, the season he wants to to start necessarily. Uh, this is the second uh, you know bad game that he's had this year, and typically he's as steady as they come and as consistent and efficient as they come. So we have a lot more uh, data suggesting he's going to get, revert back to being steady and, and consistent and efficient. But right now, of course, it just uh, it stings after a 22-point loss for Oklahoma City Thunder fans. But Chet Holmgren was awesome in this game for seven points in the first quarter. Uh, he had a nice play where he's crossing over Valanciunas at the top of the key, and Zion has to come down and foul him to avoid either a Chet open look at the rim or a kick out to Lou Dort for a wide open three. And that's the advantage that Chet is able to, to create for himself and kind of flip on his head the advantage of playing a, a bigger guy, right? We always talk about it, the disadvantages of having Chet match up with a bigger guy. The advantages is letting Chet work at the, at the perimeter uh, to exploit that matchup. And he did that nicely in the first quarter against Valanciunas. He had a pickup, uh, he had a putback uh, shot over Larry Nance. He did some things well early on on Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, he forced a, a couple of misses on post-ups. He had a play where he boxed out Valanciunas very well and fought for a rebound that, that allowed Dort to get the rebound over both of them. Uh, so he was kind of sitting behind the action. Uh, he, he had some great playmaking feel in this game. He got the ball at the elbow one play, and he kind of just made the read of, of the defense. He got the ball at the elbow. Kaysen cuts back door. He wants to go to Kaysen. Instead of forcing it in there to Kaysen or just anticipating Kaysen, just throwing it, he saw that Kaysen was, was guarded and, and was taken away. So he goes to his next progression, which was Josh Giddy knifing down the lane. Easy layup as Chet finds him swiftly and is able to make that decision and process what's happening on the court very quickly. So that's good for Chet as a playmaker. I hope that we see a little bit more of that uh, with Chet on the perimeter as his rookie year goes on. Uh, on the same line of playmaking, he blocks CJ McCollum's jump shot, gets the gets the block, goes in transition, goes a behind the back move to help him around the floor and avoid uh, CJ and avoid the traffic uh, in the backcourt. And then dumps this nice pass off to Josh Giddy, who gets absolutely hammered uh, on the layup attempt. No call there. And it sparked a CJ travel. And then after the travel, since it was a dead ball, Mark called a timeout and just immediately went out to go talk to the refs. Josh never stopped talking to the refs, even as CJ was traveling and like had the ball back uh, going the other way for New Orleans. Uh, but ultimately, I get that this team's frustrated. And, and, and they are, in my opinion, getting the, the wrong end of the whistle. But you just kind of keep playing and kind of uh, – you know, play through that, so to say, if you're OKC. There's really nothing you can do. If you can change a ref's call, well, then you can sell beachfront property in Kansas. And, and, and I don't think any of them have the real estate license. So at the end of the day, Chet Holmgren just has to, and I'm sorry, Josh Gideon, Mark, and, and all the guys have to kind of play through that a little bit. Now, Mark is different because he's not playing the game. So you should let kind of Mark take the lead on that of handling and working the refs. And we might get to a point, even this game against Gordon State, where if the calls are continually going to be this quote unquote wrong or one-sided or whatever, the calls are going to be this continuously bad for lack of a better word. Then if you're Mark, you just have to go and kind of fight for your guys a little bit and just go get a technical foul just for the sake of getting uh, a little technical foul. But still, uh, I think that Chet was good in this one. Ultimately, you know, when he worked at his whole body of work, he made Zion pay when Zion was a, 
he was very aggressive closing out to the three-point line this game. He even fouled as he had Joe in a closeout. But Zion closes out hard on Chet on the perimeter. Chet goes right past him to the rim for an and one. Uh, defensively, uh, flipping the floor, he had to fly out to the corner, leaps up in the air to run CJ off the line. He does that very well to funnel him into a different defender. But Chet himself gets back on his feet and gets back in front of CJ, all in like one motion. And that just shows that shows the range of what he can do as a defender and what he can do. As you can tell, Gilmore is very into Chet Holmgren's defense, but uh, Chet also dealt with some foul trouble in this one um, more than he usually has so far in his rookie year, uh, which threw off of threw off Smart's rotations a little bit. Uh, and he's going to get better at rebounding, at defense, he, at, at everything. He's going to get better. He is only five games into his rookie season, and I know that it's just an easy crutch to lean on when you're evaluating Chet Holmgren. Just to say. Well, he's obviously too small. That's why the Thunder aren't rebounding. That's why uh, at times the Pelicans were able to dominate at the rim. He's just too small. He's too skinny. He's too lean, whatever. That's a lazy narrative to fall back on, and that's just not truly watching what's happening. There are some things that Chet himself has to clean up. I think he's letting guys get too deep into the paint uh, versus trying to push them out better and push them out more. But even guys like Steven Adams, who no one is going to call a pipsqueak and nobody's going to make fun of his frame by any means. Like he took a long time to develop defensively and it took mentors like Kendrick Perkins, uh, you know, teaching him uh, the defensive end of the ropes for his game and, and, and playing uh, and getting some reps at both levels. And so like this is just a rookie big man thing that we're seeing right now. There, there hasn't been a matchup where I look and just say, oh, that was obviously because Chet's too skinny. There were some positioning issues that he had, which I think is more so uh, just young and inexperienced. Uh, there, there's been some some fun, uh, foundational things that I think are just more young and inexperienced, but he's never just been flat out abused, overpowered uh, because of his frame. And I think that that's just falling, falling back on that at times can get you in trouble when you're evaluating Chet Holmgren as a center. You should kind of more so look for the, for the why or how is this happening without even looking at his frame necessarily uh, for most of these plays. Uh, J-Dub, I think, was better in this game uh, and, and kind of just shows you visually all of his offseason work in one game. Of course, he had the and one over Zion, which is going to be the biggest play of his night and, and the most energetic play of his night. Whenever you finish through a guy that looks like Zion and get the and one, you're going to be pretty pumped. But the, the hesitation dribble move spinning through the lane and finishing over Jordan Hawkins, I, I think shows how much cleaner he's gotten at dribbling the ball and how much cleaner he's gotten uh, as a setup guy for himself at the rim. So now you have a player who not only got stronger and is able to take on more contact and finish through more contact, but a guy who's polished up his dribble moves, which will even enhance his game at the rim this year even more so. Uh, I think he's a really good end-to-end uh, -end sprinter. Like you saw that at the end of the half where he just goes 94 feet in a blink of an eye and gets fouled. He did a lot. He did that a lot last year. He's like their go-to guy in situations like that uh, for, for last year. And he kind of, he can kind of do it, the best on the team in terms of like keeping control of the ball and himself while barreling at the rim, you know, at a lightning speed to try to beat the clock. So uh, credit to him there. And along with that polish as like a self creator, I think he's polished up his passing as well. Uh, uh, J-Dub has. So that was awesome. And though I'm Casey Wallace and we'll talk more about him uh, coming up on, on Friday's show, but he got two quick, quick flat fouls in this one and Mark let him play through it. Now Mark's ideology on foul trouble has been consistent of um, you know you don't want to you don't want to take the guys out of the game necessarily because if you do then you're you yourself are fouling them out and you just don't know if they're actually going to uh, pick up their their next few fouls or not so uh, you know that's been clear but 
to let a rookie do that, who, whose primary you know, duties is going to be on the on the defensive end, I thought showed a lot of trust and a lot of confidence in Casey Wallace. It's a, it's a lot to just say, hey, we trust this guy, we trust this rookie, he's been impressing us. But then these actions follow up on those words. You know, you couple them together, and, and you get what what's been proven is that this Thunder team really does like Casey Wallace and really does think that he can he can do the job. So that's what you have on Casey Wallace. Now we're going to get to your takeaways from this game, and they were dumpster fire, frankly. What's great is our partners over at FanDuel, because FanDuel is the number one option for you to go and use as a sportsbook. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Folks, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning of a $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 It's if your team wins the, the Moneyline bet. You can also vote on spreads, uh, player props, over-unders, and more. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. It's the perfect time to go there. And I'm going to go there right now because you have active NFL games, you have college football games, you have NBA games, NHL games, college basketball starts on Monday. Uh, so you can go and bet on all of that fun stuff, including the first ever in-season tournament game in Oklahoma City as the Thunder are five-point home dogs to Golden State. They're getting five points uh, so go check that out at fanduelcom slash locked on against Golden State. Remember, when SGA didn't play against Boston, the Thunder were able to run away with it in a similar scenario. So keep that in mind as we start the in-season tournament tonight. You can go there and make it even more interesting at fanduelcom slash locked on, fanduelcom slash locked on. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast. On the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Your takeaways from tonight. Ryan Woods says the arena sounds dead on TV. Uh, yeah, it, it, frankly, the, the crowd was not great for the majority of the game. Now, when the game was in the balance in the fourth quarter and you know CJ was at the line and uh, the, the Pelicans kept going to the free throw line at the end, of course, because the Thunder had a foul, the, the crowd was incredible. It was, it was kind of like the old school vibe feel. But I, I was shocked by... The lack of turnout in the empty seats there, um, I, I think that maybe the early start time had something to do with it because you know, if you don't get off work until 5.30, you got to go home, get your family ready, get whatever you got to do ready, and then and get to the arena. It's a tough sell sometimes, so I think that maybe the 6.30 tip had something to do with it. But, yeah, the fans uh, at the arena, they showed up at the very end of the game, and, of course, when the Thunder were going on a run early, in the middle there just wasn't much to – there wasn't much to – to, to do for the fan base uh, at the time. So yeah, they, they, they can be of course better, but uh, they did close the game very well uh, for, for who showed up at this event. Um, Melinda said would have liked to see uh, different rotations at the end of the first half to stop the Pelican surge. Uh, I blame some of this on coaching, but the so shot selection was not ideal at times. It's a learning point and the thunder should have won. Uh, I, I was surprised. I'll talk about Mark because I have been Mark's biggest supporter in the entire NBA landscape. Uh, you know, Mark, I think, uh, was trying to let the guys play a little bit, which is abnormal for him. Uh, typically, he's, he's kind of a quick uh, a quick trigger on the timeout. This time, he let the Pelicans win that 15-0 run. I was thinking to myself multiple times, like, okay, that basket, here's the Mark timeout. Nope. Okay, here's the Mark timeout. Nope, and it just never kind of came until uh, until I think it was too late. Uh, but I think that part of that is, and, and fans aren't going to want to hear this. And this is what I think. This is not anything I've heard from Mark or anything that, that, that has been said. But what I think is part partly is this is an 82-game season. At some point, 
you've got to kind of test your guys and, and, and see what works, what doesn't work. And so this is, a, this is a, you know, I know they had a successful team last year with 40 wins. They were under 500 and they made the play-in. But, but even though there's a lot of the same names on this team, this is a totally different team play style-wise, a totally different team gel-wise and chemistry-wise than what last year's team ended up as. And remember, last year's team did not hit the ground running last year. It didn't have the same chemistry as they ended with, didn't have the same uh, play style that they ended with. And as Sam Presti put it, they had two great months last year, and that was it, uh, of Thunder basketball. So there were also a lot of bad months in there that led them to a 40 and 40 C record. This is an insanely long season. And so I think that partly Mark uh, was changing things up in terms of like how he typically manages a game and manages a run by the Pelicans just to see what this team is going to, how they're going to respond to those things, how they're going to respond. Can I just let them play? Or do I need to be more hands-on with this group? Or do I need to do, do I need to call more timeouts with this group and manage the gr- uh, group differently? So uh, not to say that you throw away a game ever, but at some point you got to try something. At some point you, you've got to, you've got to experiment. And I think that that was an experiment that didn't work this time, but you use that experiment to help you in the situation next time. Uh, uh, Darren asks, uh, or says that his takeaway is that they're too comfortable with the lead. and need to stop playing hero ball. Yeah, I, I think that this team is complacent a bit whenever they get the big lead, and that's partly because you're a young team who's never experienced it. The old adage of like, act like you've been there before. If you never have, you don't know how to act. I, I could I could bring you into uh, the, the Thunder uh, you know, media portion of the arena and tell you, okay, act like you've been here before. And if you've never been there, you're not going to go where to go. You're not going to know where the where the press conference room is, where the where the locker rooms are, where the courts at, where the workrooms at. You know, you're not going to know anything. You've never been there before. So like, you're not going to know how to hold on to a big lead until you've played games with big leads and and finish off the game and finish off uh, the opponent or have seen what went wrong in those games. And so the Thunder are going to get that uh, with seeing what's gone wrong and make the adjustments for it uh, coming up. You know, in the next few games. And and then yeah, at, at times Shea did have. Uh, poor shot selection. There's no question about it. At times, like at, at times, it felt like Shea was trying to prove, like, like heard the chirping, so to say, of after like the last few games of of, of people doubting him a little bit or, or whatever you want to call it, and wanted to prove something to, to I don't know who, and, and had some bad shot selection. I, I really believe it'll get fixed. And I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying that because you know I cover the team, I'm around the team. I just think that. We have way bigger of a sample size of, of Shea not doing this than Shea doing it. So until it's the opposite, I'm going to continue to lean on what we know. Now, there are other things that, that are vastly concerning, right? We have a larger sample size of, of other players not playing well where it's getting to the point where it's just who they are. But with Shea specifically and playing hero ball or whatever, he did a great job of not doing that, even in this game, in the first couple of minutes of this game. But then it kind of reverted back uh, to, to the old, old hat. And Linda also says that we need J-Will back, uh, but what is happening with Poku is is the experiment over. So, I mean, Pokushevsky hasn't been good when he's gotten minutes this year, number one. But also, number two, he dealt with a severe ankle injury, which which kept JRE out for the massive portion of the last season, and uh, JRE was never the same last season either off that ankle injury. Um, and he probably isn't, like, in top-tier rhythm, either because he hasn't gotten to play much. And the biggest thing is he just hasn't been good. <laughs> like we can, we can, we can dance around it, but he hasn't been good. Uh, so I, I get wanting to try him because he's a bigger player um, against the Pelicans. I don't think it would have hurt to try him, but I think that that's going to more show what happened in this Pelicans game. Uh, Thunder DNA says Wiggins needs to play more. He was a team high plus 14. Yeah. Play Wiggins more. I'm a big advocate of playing Aaron Wiggins more 
I, I think that he was awesome tonight. And I don't know why he's a constant bounce in and out of the rotation guy. Me personally, if I was the coach, which thankfully for you all, I'm not, uh, I would, I would play Wiggins a lot, a lot in this, in this, for this team. Uh, all things sports says starting unit is lethal. Uh, and they're proving that, but they need more scoring off the bench and a consistent six man every night could do that for OKC. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to judge the bench yet. And there are some comments about the bench. I get it, but you're missing your two best bench players right now. And, and, and while Jay will, or why, while Kenrich is not going to necessarily fill it up, they are going to contribute to playing a, a more conducive style of, of scoring with what they can bring to the table with Jay will shooting and playmaking and Kenrich's uh, ability to cut and, and ability to playmake off of, uh, or, or connect, I should say, uh, off of the other actions that's going on in the court. So uh, I'm not going to judge the bench yet. I think that we need to see what this team looks like in, in total so far. And there were some also takeaways of uh, like one from Thunderous Odyssey, the arrival, I believe is what, is what uh, the name is. Uh, Presley should be on the phone with three to four different teams right now on speed dial, trying to get uh, you know, bigger bodies like Time Lord, Robert Williams, Olenek, uh, Olenek and, and others. The, the Thunder are not going to make a big trade like that, especially not now. I don't think they're going to do it at the deadline either. Like I think they're going to let this team play out and, and, and just see how it goes. And they still need to, to see J. Willen Kinnish, but there's not going to be some, the, the, the NBA like organizations don't act the same way that we act, right? Like on this podcast, as fans of the show and fans of the Thunder, they're not reacting every single night. Like they, they don't even react to like games necessarily. They act to, they react to like 10 game sample sizes and 20 game sample sizes. And so like, this game is not going to pull the, be the reason why that the Thunder go make a trade this moment. Now they might make a trade on the road, and there are some some other things that we can get into, like we talked about on on Wednesday's show uh, about how you know guys typically don't hit restricted free agency, so you might see a move like you saw with Baisley last year this uh, this trade deadline. But um, nonetheless, I think that uh, I think that for the the Thunder, you're going to see them keep this same sort of roster, same sort of lineup. Uh, Justin said poor decisions, drop passes. Yeah, there was some sloppy execution. There's no doubt about that. I totally agree. Um, I, and then Milo says, I think that Mark is sometimes a possession or two too late of calling time, timeouts. I, I, I think he was tonight, as I mentioned. I don't think he's like that normally. I think he's, he's he's rather good at stifling momentum for the other team. But tonight, he wasn't. And I think that that might have been just him experimenting with some things in general. And the Thunder just have to not necessarily play bigger, but play more physical. Uh, I, I think to, to react on Avery Taylor's um, uh, to react on his take of, of the Thunder have to get more a more physical big. I, I think it's on the team. Like the team has shown both last year and this year that they can go rebound, but you have to cons- you know keep up that effort uh, game to game and 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 possession to possession and half to half and everything else. So with OKC, we're going to get to more of these like some of you left like big picture takeaways of like roster construction and and like players evaluations we're going to do some more of that tomorrow on that show uh one takeaway was don't blow a 20 point lead i totally agree with you uh that was a great great addition to the show and great addition to the thread uh and then the last one we're going to do why sub josh goody back in for aaron wiggins this loss is on mark uh it's interesting because mark has proven last year that on a team which no offense to last year's team and, and, and those who are not here anymore Last year's team was was significantly less talented than this year's team. 
I, w- I, sh- I shouldn't say significantly, but they were less talented than, than this year's team. And last year, Josh Giddy had games where down the stretch of the game, he didn't play. And so did Lou Dort. And so, so did other players uh, that, were, that were down the stretch. He didn't play. Uh, I thought Wiggins had the hot hand. I also don't think that Josh Giddy was bad, though. It's like, I, don't, I wouldn't use Josh Giddy as the example. I, I, I wouldn't use him as like the, oh, uh, you know, he was the one who shouldn't be playing down the stretch. Now, he ended up missing the the open three, which is going to sting and is going to stick with you for a while. And he had a great first quarter and kind of it kind of trickled and fell off uh, the rest of the way. But ultimately, I would have played Wiggins more. And and if it's if it's Giddy that you want to to sacrifice to do that because someone has to has to not play if you want to play someone more. Uh, I'm kind of with you on that. I wouldn't necessarily say that's the that's the exact reason that they lost, but I would have played Wiggins more. Now. Five games in, three and two isn't horrible. Remember that Zion, before Zion got hurt, the Pelicans led the West for the first third of the season. Uh, and you have to find out who can con- contribute. Getting Joe back is going to help a lot from Brian. That is what I think the only takeaway is from this game. Uh, you, you never want to blow a 22-point lead. It happens in the NBA nightly uh, anymore in the modern era. In the modern era of basketball, it's going to happen all the time. Three and two in this in this stretch is not is not horrible at all. It's, it's pretty good. The Pelicans are really good when Zion plays. And the season's not over. <laughs> this this core has not failed. Players individually have not failed. Mark hasn't failed. It's just a bad game that that just happens sometimes throughout the course of a season. Uh, J. Will getting back will help, and uh, it'll help you kind of tie together patches of games where you struggle. I think now if that doesn't happen, and like the and like them coming back doesn't fix things, it isn't the elixir for this bench. Then you got to have some serious conversations. But You've got to to go big picture sometimes. As fun as it is to, to react to the, to, to the minutia of things, you've got to go big, big picture sometimes and say, this is an 82-game season. The Thunder from November 1st last year were not the same Thunder from April 14th last year. Not even close. Not the same rotations. Not the same uh, body of work. Not the same play style. Not the same contributors. Not the same uh, focal points. Not even close. This time last year, J.W. was an afterthought, right? Just to give an example, wasn't even a playing. So then he became your starting big man, and he was a, he was a big portion of the team. And boom, became a rallying cry for this Thunder fan base. So we want to react every game, and every game is important because at the end of the day, when we look back on the Western standings, I still firmly believe that seeds, let's say two through eleven, are going to be separated by a game and a half or two games. Those games can be made up anywhere. We put a lot of focus on those games being in April. Those games can happen anywhere where you make up those games, including November 1st against New Orleans. Uh, but uh, if you're going to make big picture assessments on this team, I wouldn't do it based upon a, a game like this, even though this is a raw, uh, emotional type of game. And I totally get it. I totally get it. It's not fun to lose by, you know, lose a lead winning up by 22 on national television. But I wouldn't necessarily call this game like embarrassing or or, or or just rip this core and say it's all over, it's all falling apart, and they're 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 just down bad or whatever. Let's see how they progress. Shay's out against the Warriors. We're going to do a whole preview pod on the Warriors and the in-season tournament and answer your mailbag questions that we didn't get to on Wednesday and your takeaways from this game. Some more that that had some overarching takeaways for uh, this game on tomorrow's show. So look for that Friday afternoon. This is this is of course. The Thursday podcast recapping the game against New Orleans. Until tomorrow, be good. Be good to one another.